0: Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen.
1: So he's not saying, hey, if you have things that automatically you're gonna experience woes, but but he does warn us again and again, and we'll see it as we go through Luke and the rest of scripture, that that those of us who are fixated on things, that is a serious, serious problem because we are going to leave those things behind.
0: today's broadcast, we begin yet another two-part study from Pastor Sam, this one entitled Blessings, Woes, and Exhortations. We will be looking at verses 20 through 36 in Luke chapter 6, where Jesus teaches the Beatitudes while adding some warnings of woe for us to consider. Let's listen in.
1: Let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 6. We're picking up at verse 20, working our way down to verse 36 title of our study this morning, Blessings, Woes, and Exhortations. Luke 6, 20 through 26, Blessings, Woes, and Exhortations. We read in verse 20, then he lifted up his eyes toward his disciples and said, blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name as evil for the son of man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy for indeed your reward is great in heaven for in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. Woom! If you've been tracking with us, and many of you have, at this point, we've seen Jesus gather a multitude of disciples to himself, and among those disciples and from those disciples, he chose 12, those 12 to be with him intimately, and that he could train them so he could send them out to represent him. And what we have here in this section of Luke's gospel is the beginning of Jesus formal training of his disciples he's actually following the pattern established back in Deuteronomy where parents were instructed to teach their kids formally and informally in other words time looking at the word memorizing the word meditating on the word discussing the word looking into what it means and how we apply it and then the informal well that would be in the everydayness of life a reminder of hey this is exactly what we were talking back about back in the lesson and and here's how it applies to this situation. So so that's what Jesus is doing. And here's why this is so important to us. As he trains them to represent him, well, that's the exact same training we need. We're called to the very same mission, not just to be followers or disciples of Jesus, but to be representatives of Jesus. And in our generation, we're going to face the same kinds of trials and persecutions and tribulations that they faced. He wants them to know what to expect. And then he wants them to know how to respond. And that's exactly what we're going to consider today. What can we expect as we step out to serve and represent our Lord? And how does he want us to respond in the midst of all we'll receive? Well, He lifted his eyes, we're told, toward his disciples. There are more than the disciples there. Remember, he has the apostles now. He's made a distinction. And he has the disciples. And then there are going to be crowds of people that are just kind of hanging around, listening in. The religious leaders are a part of that group. They've come, we saw in our last study, from down in Jerusalem and Judea. They've come from the northern coast of Tyre and Sidon. He's ministering in the northern uh, inland part of Israel. They're around the uh, Sea of Galilee. So people have come from everywhere. The multitudes are great. And he begins to say, blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now, What Jesus does in this passage completely turns everything they had been taught upside down. To the Jewish mind, to be blessed financially or physically was the indication that you were pleasing God. In fact, it was in their law, Deuteronomy 28 made it clear. If you bless God and, and serve him and honor him, then you would be blessed physically, financially, in the land, in your crops. You would be the head and not the tail. You'd lend and never borrow. So they had all these promises of God. But, but here's the deal. There were curses associated with the blessings. In other words, if they did all God told them to do, the blessings. If they rejected God and worshipped idols and got into everything else that follows with that, well, then there would be curses. Israel forfeited those promises. And, and by the time Jesus is on the scene and they forfeited him because of their disobedience, because of their idolatry, their immorality, their rebellion, And again and again, he disciplined them. He sent them prophets and and he took them into captivity and he brought them back. But by the time Jesus is on the scene, they're doing all of the things that the law requires. But Jesus says, but your heart's far from me. In other words, you're going through the motions, the outward stuff's happening, but the inward heart isn't really connecting. When Jesus says, blessed are you poor, then this just sounds so strange to them because to their mind, the poor were poor because they weren't blessed. And of course, we live in sort of similar days, don't we? For different reasons. But well, we've been taught if you work hard and and you know, you're a good steward and all that, that you're gonna have plenty when you get older. That may or may not be the case, but it's important to, to see where he's going with this and what he intends to teach him. He says, blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now, believe it or not, the key word here is you. And here's why, the idea that, All of the people in India who are impoverished are blessed automatically because they're impoverished. Or all the people in Africa who are starving and diseased are blessed because they're starving and diseased. The idea that all the people in Afghanistan or other places where they don't even have the daily necessities, that there's an automatic blessing on them, they automatically inherit the kingdom. No, that's far from the mind of Christ and it's far from what the scripture is actually saying. The you here takes us straight back to those who earlier on had forsaken all to follow him. Look back at chapter 5, verse 11. This is after Peter, James, and John, and Andrew had cast their nets and had this glorious catch of fish. It said when they brought their boats to land, they forsook all to follow him. In chapter 5, verse 28. As he calls Levi, we know him as Matthew, to leave his tax collecting, he says the very same thing. He says, uh, after these things, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. He said, follow me. And he left all, rose up and followed him. So the you that he is referring to here, it's those people who had forsaken all to follow him. And So he's not saying there's an automatic blessing in being poor. What he is saying is... If you're impoverished because you've forsaken all to follow Jesus, and that was their situation, these disciples, these representatives, we would call them missionaries today. I don't know very many missionaries that have everything that we have, but the the bottom line is, he says, they do have the kingdom of God. They are participating in the work of God, and, and they're blessed in the midst of their poverty. Now, Again, he's not saying then all poor people are blessed automatically or more spiritual automatically, but but he's talking to a specific group of people that are experiencing what they're experiencing as a direct result of their decision to forsake all and follow him, to trust him, to provide for them. Now there are two kinds of physical poverty. There's the kind of physical poverty that every college student has experienced where you live on Top Ramen or for us it was rice and beans because I didn't even know about Top Ramen but I gotta tell you, rice and beans, about the same price and way better. But uh, you know we've all had those years where we considered ourselves poor. Pam and I've been uh, married. Well, I don't even want to tell you because it makes her sound older, Uh, but uh, we've been married a very, very long time. And for a lot of our marriage, we were what we consider to be poor, but we were never poor in the sense that's described here. And, and, And what I mean by that is this is talking about absolute poverty, the kind that unless someone else provides for you, you have no possibility of being provided for. And that's what he's talking about. Now, how can such a person be blessed? Well, they've entered into this this realm where they're going to get to see God work miraculously. And they're going to get to see it on a daily basis. Those disciples would always be fed. Those disciples would always be cared for because Jesus was with them, providing for them, protecting them, leading them, guiding them, and blessing them. Well, he goes on to say, blessed are you who hunger now for you shall be filled. Again, their hunger, a direct result of their decision to forsake all and follow him. His promise is you will be filled. And the word filled is a great one. It means completely satisfied, not just full, but content. And, you know, there's a difference. You know, you can fill up on a s'mores and you'll be full, but you won't be satisfied. uh, Or you can fill up on on something that's healthy and you'll actually be full and satisfied. And and that's the nature of this particular promise, that that you'll not only be filled, but you will be content and satisfied in a way you'll never find elsewhere. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. You know, the scripture tells us in Revelation that God is going to wipe away Every tear. And we mourn for a lot of reasons and weep for a lot of reasons. The closer you get to Jesus, the closer you walk with Jesus, the more you will become like Jesus. He is a man of sorrows, well acquainted with with grief his heart breaks for the people who can't or won't see the truth his heart breaks for those who are sick and suffering and sorrowing and and our hearts begin to break as well but he says those tears will be wiped away many of us have shed tears over family members children or parents or brothers or sisters who've died and even knowing they've gone to be with the Lord we've still grieved and wept and he's saying Blessed are you who weep, you'll laugh when. There'll be a reunion, we'll be rejoicing and we'll be able to experience that joy with him and with them. There's a beautiful promise in Psalm 126, five and six. It sounds like an agricultural lesson. I think it's an agricultural illustration. It says, those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping Bearing seed for sowing shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. I believe he's pointing us to the reality of those of us who are soul winners, who are seed sowers, that we go out with the good seed of the gospel and we go out not just saying, hey, here's how it is or here's what you need to know. But we go out with compassion and broken hearts for the people that we're trying to win to the Lord. And he says, as we go forth... Sowing in tears, we will reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Then in verse 22, blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name as evil for the son of man's sake. Now, You'll remember those of you who are younger might remember doing this. Those of you who have older, you've helped younger people do it. I've got a almost genius two year old uh, grandson. Well, actually, I have a genius almost two year old grandson would be more how I see it. But 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 here's the thing. We're playing little games with him because we're trying to teach him. Now, he can't communicate all that he's thinking or experiencing, but he understands an awful lot. So you remember doing this, right? You put four little pictures and then you add a fifth and and you say, which one of these doesn't fit with the other? So you have a square and you have a rectangle and you have a triangle and then you have like a fourth one. But all of them have lines and then you have a circle and you ask them which one doesn't fit. And and, and if the kid's a genius like little Elijah, he'll point to the circle and, and say that one, Papa, because. Well, he doesn't even know how to explain why it doesn't fit, but he can see that all the others have straight lines and this one's a circle. Now, we do that with words as well. In other words, that's exactly what what happens when I read this, because I see everything as a list. I don't just see a sentence. And, and, And so here are the five words, and you tell me which one doesn't seem to fit. Hated, excluded, reviled, slandered, and blessed. I mean, it just doesn't gel, does it? We're like, what? I mean, clearly, this one doesn't belong with the others. But he doesn't say you can be blessed or will be blessed. He says you are blessed. What in the midst of experiencing these kinds of experiences? I've, I've never really enjoyed being hated. Excluded doesn't feel very good. Reviled, slandered. How can that be a blessing? Well, we're going to see in that latter part of this study That he's going to show the actual blessing will be in getting to represent the Lord to people who are doing these very things to us. We get an opportunity not to reciprocate in kind. Not to respond in kind because when people hate you and slander you and revile you, they expect you to do that back to them. And when you love them and bless them and pray for them instead, which is what he's going to tell us to do. then then that's where the blessing is. It's not an automatic blessing to, you know, be excluded. It's not an automatic blessing to be slandered. In fact, it's not a blessing at all unless it's for the son of man's sake or for the word of God's sake or for the kingdom's sake. And again, that's a key phrase here. If you experience these kinds of things because you're rightly representing the Lord, he says you're going to be blessed in the process. And I believe wholeheartedly, the blessing will be the opportunity to represent the heart of the Father, His mindset, His mercy, His patience, His kindness, His grace, His long suffering. We get to represent Him to a world that knows nothing about Him or is twisted in their view of Him. Well, there are a couple other things. He doesn't say you'll feel blessed, He says you'll be blessed. And anybody who says, well, that that really felt good to me. Something's wrong with you. It's not supposed to feel good. It's going to feel bad. And your natural response is going to be like, well, you know, they're not going to get away with this. And if you're normal at all. And by the way, being a Christian and growing in Christ and becoming more like Christ doesn't mean we don't have natural, normal responses. It just means we control those. And instead respond in a way that's pleasing to him and a blessing to people. It's a decision we make. It's not automatic. If you're thinking that, well, I'll just hang out and I'll read the word and I'll become more like Jesus. And then I'll just always act like he does. You won't. You'll act like you unless you're walking in the spirit and unless you're yielded to him and listening to him and and thinking, wait a minute. I know what this is. This is a test. What's a test? It's an opportunity for a testimony. It's a chance to testify with your actions and your words that you're in Christ, that you are a recipient of mercy. And because you're in the downline of all that, you are now going to pass that mercy on. Well, he tells you exactly how to respond. And this is the beginning of the responses. He says, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. I'm not much of a leaper, but I'm inside I do. You know, it's like I have enthusiasm, but I'm not a real woohoo, you know, jump up and down. And, you know, but but in my heart, I can leap for joy. And he's saying, indeed, your reward is great in heaven for in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. He's saying you have entered in, become a part of this great and glorious crowd of witnesses we read of in Hebrews 11 who were mistreated specifically because they were faithful to the call and the cause of Christ because they did exactly what God sent them to do. We've been studying through the um Well, the Old Testament so far, we're almost to the New Testament, a book a week, Genesis one week, Exodus the next. We've just finished the major prophets, did our first study of the minor prophets. And as we went through Ezekiel and Isaiah and Jeremiah, those major prophets again and again, we saw them coming saying, thus says the Lord. And they warned God's people Unless you repent, there's gonna be real problems. Unless you turn around, you are gonna suffer. You're gonna go into captivity. And well, there was another group coming saying, Thus says the Lord, the false prophets. Oh, who do you think the people listened to? They embraced the false prophets because the false prophets told them what they wanted to hear. Ah, you're gonna be fine. You're God's people. You have the blessings and the promises of God. You have the temple and you have the feast and you have the festivals and, and you have the sacrifices. You're doing all of that stuff. Why would God send you into captivity? But see, Jeremiah told the truth and they punished him brutally for it. Ezekiel told the truth and Isaiah told the truth. So so the idea here is he says, when, when you do what's right, when you rightly represent you can expect hatred and, and, and exclusion and, and, and to be reviled and to be slandered. And in the midst of it, you can rejoice knowing that, hey, I've entered in to the fellowship of his sufferings. I've entered into the fellowship of the saints who suffered for the cause of God down through the ages. Well, four corresponding woes. And in the very same way that it's not automatically a blessing to be poor, it's not automatically a curse to be rich. So we don't want to read into it, but we do want to just glean from it. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Now, he can't be talking to the same you know, 12 guys who had forsaken all to follow him. He has to be looking past them at this point because he can't be saying you're blessed because you're poor and you're, you know, woes because you're rich. They couldn't be both at once. And so he's speaking to those who are listening in and he's saying, woe to the rich, why? Well, he's talking about a type of person. When we went through Revelation, they were described as those who, were, well, rooted in the things that were temporal, that, that their values, their, the things they valued, they were all earthly and fleshly and temporal. They were, they're, they're people of the earth. And uh, of course, our citizenship, we're told in Ephesians, is in heaven. We're already a part of the kingdom of God. And, and that's why Jesus will say things that only make sense to someone who is a part of the kingdom. Don't lay up treasure on earth where moth or rust can destroy or thieves can steal, but lay up treasure in heaven for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And what's he saying? If your treasure's here, your heart's going to be here. You're you're, going to be all about the stuff that's temporal. But if your treasure's up there, well, then your heart's going to be up there and you're going to be all about the stuff that's eternal. And by the way, the stuff that's eternal, the only eternal thing, the only thing that's going to make it from here to heaven is people. Not all people are going to get from here to heaven, but people, that's all that gets to go, you see. So there's an interesting passage where Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I've pointed out in the past, and it's true today, that if the second is true for you, well then... Well, the first is true. Well, the second can only be true, excuse me, if the first is true. In other words, if to live is anything but Christ, to die will not be gained because you'll be leaving behind whatever it is you're living for. But if you're living for Christ, the die is gained because you live for him and then you go to be with him. It can't get any better than that. Rewards await you. Perfection awaits you. Not just with him, but like him. They're in his presence. So he's not saying Hey, if you have things that automatically you're going to experience woes, but, but he does warn us again and again, and we'll see it as we go through Luke and the rest of Scripture, that, that those of us who are fixated on things, that is a serious, serious problem, because we are going to leave those things behind. And, and, so, and he's saying, if you're all about that, you have all you're looking for. You have your consolation. Woe to you who are full. For you shall hunger to the satisfied, the comfortable, the content. Again, he says, you're gonna suffer loss in the day of God's discipline or the day of God's judgment. We are
0: warned many times about the danger of riches in this world, but it's really not the riches that are the danger, it's really the heart issue that is. Riches are a tool with which we can either be generous with or we can hoard to ourselves and count on them for security in this life. Matthew 6:24, Jesus tells us no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other you cannot serve God and mammon when we serve the master who gives us eternal life and the only master who is worthy of our service riches become a tool in his hands and when we generously give of them as the spirit directs us we are making it clear whom our master is